You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you have joined us. I think it's really obvious in recent years that the narratives around Detroit and what it means to live here have really been changing. What was once viewed as a scary and impoverished entity by a lot of people, especially by white suburbanites, is now increasingly becoming viewed as something new, exciting, and as enduring as a renaissance. And that has encouraged some groups of people to move to the city and experience all that it has to offer. Editor and artist Anne Elizabeth Moore got just that chance when she was awarded a free house, that's free in quotes, from a nonprofit fellowship for writers. She quickly realized that the house was, in fact, not free and began to think more critically about what her presence in Detroit's Bangletown neighborhood meant for that community. She details those experiences in her new book, Gentrifier, a Memoir. Anne Elizabeth Moore joins me now to talk about it. Anne, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks. I'm so happy to be here this morning. So talk about how you ended up in Detroit and the impression you had of this city before that move and just after your arrival. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I... Of course, because I had been living in Chicago for 25 years beforehand, was was much more familiar with Detroit than I let on in the book. Um, but I, you know, knew the creative community. I knew sort of the cultural scene. I even knew a little bit about the neighborhood I moved into, Bangletown, which of course was not called Bangletown at the time. Mm-hmm. But I'd spent a little bit of time there, and it, it's a beautiful, thriving, thoughtful, engaged community that I. Once I found myself in the middle of it, I was just delighted to be able to experience up front. I mean, it was really engrossing and amazing. And my neighbors were these warm, wonderful, caring, thoughtful people. Um, and I really came to love, you know, street level, um, the the kinds of things that were going down in that particular neighborhood in Detroit. So, so give us a sense of what was going on in that neighborhood and the context that brought you to it. Uh, You were one of the fellows chosen by Write a House, a a nonprofit organization here in the city that was giving houses to writers as a way to kind of kickstart cultural uh, activity and connection in these neighborhoods. Uh, Tell us about what they told you they were trying to do and uh, whether you started to question that when you when you got here. Yeah, I mean, nobody accepts a free house thinking, oh, great, I have a free house now. Everything is fine. Like there's always going to be another shoe to drop. So, of course, um, the entire situation existed in this world of sort of skeptical wonder. Um, but but the other thing I, I do want to note right away is that I don't use the name of the organization in the book. Mm-hmm. And part of that is because the organization itself is, is now defunct. Mm-hmm. And another part of that is that when everyone left the organization, when all the sort of bad or, or um, <clears throat> unengaged players left, um, there was one person that sort of maintained a presence with the organization. And actually now, the organization exists in her name only. 
And if she does something with the organization in the future, I do want to make clear that it will probably be amazing. She's a really thoughtful, engaged community leader. And, um, and I have every hope that she, that she alone could sort of implement something under the right of house name that would be totally worth engaging with. Mm. Um, but, but it is true that, you know, as I lived there and as the organization itself started to fall apart, you know, around, around me, like I'm standing, I'm the one standing in the middle of the Coliseum as it's crumbling down or whatever. Um, and, you know, my fellow Rita House winners and I were, were really very um, in conversation about how that was affecting us on a daily basis and how it was affecting the organization and particularly how it was affecting the, the fourth named winner of the of Rita House um, and her ultimate inability to actually receive a house. I mean, all of this was very... You know, it came up very quickly and it was very sad and it was very frustrating to to see an organization make promises about supporting artists and supporting the city that it sort of didn't even bother upholding, you know, within months. Mm -hmm. And so in the neighborhood where you received a house, how did that part, that dimension of the story I guess, affect your interactions with the community, with, with your neighbors? Well, I mean, I, you know, was living in a, a majority uh, Bangladeshi community um, that had a, a large number of Yemeni residents as well um, and a couple of other um, recipients of free houses from the organization and a couple of... Um, white and black artists that were living in the area. Um, but my section of that neighborhood was uh, right next to the Davison. And so I was really on the, on the sort of far end, entirely surrounded by Bangladeshi families who, who just um, were, were welcoming and loving and caring mm -hmm. from the get-go. And so there was no transition. And I'd also, I'd sort of lived in South and Southeast Asian communities in the past. And so I was familiar with some of um, the less, um, <clears throat> some of the less obvious cultural um, things that I could do to, to try to fit in better. Um, and so it was a fairly smooth transition from being like white girl coming from, you know, the bigger city um, to being like, um, you know, someone who could be a community resource who could actually sort of engage with, um, you know, both the young people and the older people and the people my age um, and try to find a way to participate in the Bangladeshi community that was there. Mm. And you, you call the book Gentrifier and you have some pretty complex feelings about how that word fits into your experience in Detroit. It's a word that gets used a lot right now to describe some of the changes that we're experiencing in Detroit. I, there are some places I think it's appropriately applied. There are some other places where it's kind of a stretch. Um, but, but tell me what you mean by that term and why you mm -hmm. apply it in, in this situation. 
Well, for one thing, you know, the book does fit into these uh, narratives of white folks, particularly, who move to Detroit and they decide to buy a very cheap house and they fix it up and, and they, their, their stories sort of tell um, about a time and a place that is unique in the world and a project that is unique in the world. But, but those stories also fit into a larger narrative of colonialism, of mm. colonialist literature. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to find a way to mark immediately that my book uh, saw its, understood that it fit into that framework. Um, but it is true that, that the term gentrifier, you, uh, you sort of develop a, a different, your relationship to that term changes over the course of the book because, um, and I should also mention that the book is really funny. And so like a lot of the like big revelations happen through the exchange of jokes. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, al always within moments of cultural clash, there's, there's humor. And so... Gentrifier, you know, I was sort of accused of being a gentrifier when I received a free house in Detroit. Um, but in fact, the what the organization had asked me to do was participate in, in a project of like neighborhood sustainability. Because at the time, people in my neighborhood, on my block in particular, were just picking up and leaving. They were moving to Warren or they were moving to the uh, Brooklyn, uh, the Bangladeshi part of Brooklyn every week. And so houses were just being, you know, emptied out. And this became a real problem for my neighbors because, you know, nobody can afford security systems. And also the security systems that do operate in Detroit are horrible. And you should never, ever, ever participate in them. But, but there was, like, the city was emptying out so quickly that there was danger that there would be nobody actually in the neighborhood to watch a house in case a family had to go to a wedding for a couple of days. And so, you know... The idea that people were more likely to pick up and leave the neighborhood than they were to invest and engage in it was central to why I was brought there. And, um, and I took that very, very seriously. And that's a little bit of the opposite of what we think about as gentrification. Mm. But then as the story moves on and we learn more about the history of uh, the Detroit's property tax foreclosure um, system and its gross mismanagement and the several, um, you know, kerfuffles uh, that occur that drive families from homes that they've owned for years over very, very, very small amounts of money. Um, we come to understand that my house had a horrible history mm. in which one woman in particular was wronged by the city. And in that case, then, your relationship to the term gentrifier hardens a little. All of a sudden, then, we've given a free house to a white woman in the city of Detroit mm. that was taken from someone else. Mm -hmm. And that itself is what gentrification is about. Yeah. Is about. Well, and, and digging into, for instance, the history of the house that way is something that I think too many people who come to our city as newcomers. And look, I'm all about uh, people moving to Detroit. We need more people here. I, I, I love the idea of, of new Detroiters. But I, I do think there is something about 
digging in to where you are and where you've settled, uh, that, that gives you a, an important perspective about your role and your place in the city and the, the things you may be called to do or not do. Um, and I just don't think that that's everybody's, that's not everybody's instinct. Yeah, I mean, it, um, this book would not have been written by someone who was not an investigative reporter. You know, like it's really like a unique, um, I think, line of um, inquiry that I took on in this project. Um, but but I, I agree with you completely that, you know, to get to know um, the the history of the place that you live and the, the immediate history of the actual physical structure that mm-hmm. you're devoted to every day is absolutely central. I mean, I think of it uh, sort of bacteriologically. I think of it as a a microbial environment that those things that happened in the past, they continue to affect you in ways that we don't understand. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, in this case, it ended up being um, too too damaging, too difficult. Um, And so I did end up, you know, leaving after um, a sort of a multi-year legal battle. Um, I did end up selling the house, returning the that particular house to a Bangladeshi family and, um, you know, left, left that community. Mm. Not that I don't talk to those people on a pretty regular basis. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, yeah, I was going to ask what your relationship is to the neighborhood. As you said, you sold the house. But do you still connect, I guess, with the area where it where it was? Yeah, I mean, the book tells um, l- largely focuses on two of my neighbors, um, Nishat and Sadia, who are young women in Detroit, um, Bangladeshi, very good friends. Sadia is slightly older than Nishat, but absolutely some of the most like brilliant young women I've ever met in my life in the world. And um, I was really lucky that they sort of befriended me quickly. They just kind of took me in and we, you know, began exploring the neighborhood together. And, um, and of course now they're on Instagram and now they're like, you know, have thousands of followers (laughs) and they're very popular (laughs) and they have these vast social media presences and um, and so we communicate that way a yeah. lot. Yeah. Um, but I've only been back. I haven't been back since I finished writing the book. So once the pandemic ends, ends, I uh, will be able to go back and and sort of check in with everyone in person, which is, you know, the, the easiest way to get to know a community, of course, if not the only way. Sure. Okay. Uh, Anne Elizabeth Moore, author of the new book Gentrifier, a memoir. It was really great to have you here uh, on Detroit Today to talk about your experience. Thanks so much. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Okay. That is going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when we are going to talk with water quality and affordability experts and residents about the crisis happening right now in Benton Harbor on the other side of our state. If you don't know, uh, they have a water crisis there that some people have described as more acute than the problems that we saw in Flint. Uh, We will also talk about efforts to resurrect Michigan's only historically black college right here in Detroit.
This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. Have a great day, and we'll talk again tomorrow.